Till I'm Tiptoed you. Dot com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm Tiptoed you. Thank you for joining me for season three of Tell Em Tip Told You. I've been kind of ghost for a little while. It had some things going on. We'll talk about that over the course of the next few episodes. But I just want to, you know, I've got a lot I want to talk to you about today. So I'm just going to jump right in. Here's my list. Uh, I want to talk about what it means to turn completely inward because there's been some foolishness going on in a lot of schools lately, public and private. And I think we need as a community to address those things. I also want to talk to you about hope. This week, August 21st happened, and there are some things we need to remember on August 24th, 21st Sorry, that put me in a kind of mood. I think some people were feeling it, not just me, and so I think it's important for us to deal with that thing. So let me just jump right in and talk. Uh, so if you've been paying attention to the news, there have been a couple of incidents of black students, young black students in private schools being turned their parents. Now I'm going to go there in just a second, but let's start with public schools. Here in Gwinnett County, but not part of Gwinnett County schools. Now Buford, Georgia is in Gwinnett County, but it has its own school system. So I don't want y'all getting mad at Gwinnett County school system. That's something different. So if you Google it, it's Buford schools in Buford, Georgia. They have, um, so there was this paraprofessional who worked at one of the schools as a paraprofessional um, who is suing the school superintendent. And as part of the school that the, um, from the color system on the website, things like that. And so you have this woman with institutional memory. Now I'm going to come back to that because institutional memory is important. This woman with institutional memory who knew why the goal was there basically confronted them and asked, you know, why are we taking this out? There was an agreement in place. The agreement has been there for X number of years. I think it's wrong. This employee wants for telling students to smile when they got off the bus, something she was known for. And so, and he's upset because the laborers, according to him, he doesn't use that word. He just says, you know, that they, they weren't listening and they, they talked back and that kind of on that phone. Use the word eight times. And I mean, whoever he's talking to isn't like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. The other person's like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. So this is obviously, for, if, if that is him on the phone call, it is obviously commonplace for him to use that word because nobody's acting. The school board at it. Uh, people who serve on school boards in the state of Georgia don't even have to have any training in education, yet they're making uh, policy-related, curricular-related decisions. And that's problematic, but that's a whole other story for another day. But you've got the school board who has, um, you know, is not as diverse as the community. And when they were confronted with these, not even to say, hey, an investigation is undergoing, Um, We don't support the use of those kinds of words, which is what you would expect from a a school board to to say, although we can't comment on personnel issues, we can say that this school uh, board supports diversity and we are against, you know, racism and sexism and, you know, whatever you, uh, you would expect that, but they don't do that. They just say they're not going to talk about it. 
which is incredibly problematic, right? And then the attorney for, uh, I can't remember if it's the attorney for the school system or for the superintendent himself, um, says that we don't, we, we're, that it might be him. Well, according to the, uh, the prosecuting attorney or the lawsuit, the attorney who filed the lawsuit, yes, it is him. They have had access to the tape to authenticate it, and they have done so. So they don't know why they're saying that in the media because that's not an issue. That was. So I want you to watch what's happening in Buford. But it is not unusual. A lot of these people who are in places of power, particularly over our children, don't like our children. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Ulysses S. Bias, who was the first black super, school superintendent in the state of Georgia, uh, I heard him speak once towards the end of his life, and he said, um, his fear about integration was that we had put the fox in charge of the hen house. We had sent our most precious and prized possessions into a place that didn't really have their best interests at heart. And I can't help but to look at this case in Buford and wonder if that's true. You got a superintendent of a system, allegedly, right? Because whatever. I, I don't want no lawsuits. I believe it was him, but I'm going to say allegedly, um, Make using these racial epithets in a school system that is very diverse, right? If you don't know, let me say this about the browning of America. Uh, right now, under the age of five, white children are the minority. So diverse school districts are on the rise. I also think that's why we're going to see the death of public education in my lifetime. But that's another thing for another episode. But in the meantime, while our children are in these public schools, they often are under the purview of people who don't care about them. And we have to do something about that. We have to do something about that. So that's public schools. Now, people will say, some people will say, well, that's the problem with public schools. That's why I support private schools. That's why I support charters. That's why I support homeschooling. All right, listen. I do think we need more community control of schooling. But as long as the vast majority of our children are in public schools, whether or not you support charters or vouchers or pro-choice, whatever you are about that, I'm going to need you to also advocate for public schools because that's where the babies are. Right, this whole, I'm not going to go into this because I'm having a personal issue with one of my colleagues on campus who don't get this issue. It does, that does not understand. When we advocate for choice, when it comes to education, what we're advocating for is to leave most of our children behind. Because most public school children don't have access to quality charter schools nor quality private schools because they just can't afford it. And so even though I want more community control of schools, until we are in a position to have community funded schools that represent the ideals and values of the community, I have to advocate for both. I cannot leave public school children behind. I can't say I love children and not want to take care of the ones who are in public schools. I'm off my soapbox because that's a completely different conversation, but I got to put it there. We do have students whose parents can't afford to send them to private schools, but let's start talking about how that is not the peaceful setting that our children deserve either. So I'm going to bring up the two cases that are going on. I'm not going to call the school's names. You can Google it and find out. There was one young boy on the first day of school. He's got locks. 
His father has to withdraw him from school because the school won't permit him with shoulder-length hair. And if you see the video, what comes across in that video is the cold callousness of these white women policy as if the... Po see, this is the thing that... that uh, oh, it makes my teeth itch. I don't even know what to call it. But when folks invoke policy, like humans don't create policy, I have a problem. So these two women are standing in the office giving him the handbook, talking about the school policy, giving him the paperwork to withdraw his student as if policy exists somehow out of the blue like they didn't have a word in that policy or they can't resist that policy or whatever but the policy is all overarching and no human has control of it that kind of i'm gonna hide my white supremacy i'm gonna hide my racism behind the, the word policy that's some bullshiggity and let's just call it what it is right so when you see the video it's heartbreaking because the one the baby looks just wide-eyed in shock that he's witnessing this, right? A young baby, right? You've got the father, extremely emotional. He's trying to say, you know, all the myths and narratives about black fathers. And you got this daddy trying to enroll his child. And I'm sure what he thinks is a better school than the public. And can't get the baby in. And then you've got these two white women in the office. I promise I want to go through the computer screen. So Google that one and look at that video. And then you've got a second video where a young lady is put out of school because she has weave in her hair. Now, let me say this. It, it ain't blonde. It ain't red. It ain't purple. It ain't pink. Right? It's her natural hair color. It ain't to her waist. It ain't long tresses and candy curls and freeze something that you know that they could say is distracting it was none of that it was none of that and yet and still they hide behind this policy children can't have weaves and extensions who who primarily wears that in the case of the little boy who primarily wears locks those policies are written full of racial bias and yet we talk about them like they're neutral objectives they're not, and human beings set those policies, usually school boards. And remember, I said school, well, I didn't say this part, so let me say it. Not only do school boards not have to have any background in education, they ain't got to have a whole lot of racial diversity training either. And three, because it takes money to run for school board systems, school boards typically don't look like the areas that they serve. Now, that's primarily for the public setting. Private schools... Because they're private, they can set whatever policies and handbooks they want to for the most part. All that means is our babies aren't safe anywhere until we control the school systems. There has to be a complete turning inward. Until we do, we're going to continue to hear stories like this. Until we have our own institutions. Season three is going to be all about turning inward because that's what I'm, I'm right now in, in at this point in my life. I see that as what we need to do. We're looking at these nail salons, right? In New York and they beating women over the head with brooms and all this kind of stuff. And you, you, you begin to see more black nail technicians advertising their services, things like that. We have got to establish our own stuff. At what point do we say to ourselves, you don't want me there? Bet. I need all black people to stoke that inner fire of petty. 
<laughs> you don't want me there? Bet. I got you. I ain't got to go there. All right, so there has to be this intern, this this turn inward. I really want us to see this. Now, in reaction to the video about these young children's hair, well, not in reaction, but something that I'm starting to bring together with that is this current boom in etiquette workshops. Now, I, I don't want to sound like I'm critiquing that because I myself, I was a debutante when I was in high school and mama made sure we had etiquette workshops. Uh, I was exposed. I know the proper... You know, I know what the salad fork is. I know what the butter knife looks like. I know what to do with my utensils in between. I know to tear off chunks of bread and not put the whole roll up to me. I know all of that, right? I know to soup, um, scoop my soup outward, not inward. All that. I got it. Um, but here's the issue. Post-slavery, one of the ways that some black people tried to assert their humanity was to master Western social graces and etiquette because they believed if I can prove that I know all of these rules, the rules of Western culture to you, maybe you could recognize my humanity. I didn't, it's, it's respectability politics. Um, it was women in particular. They were pursuing this cult of true white womanhood. You know, I'm trying to aspire to anyway, I'm not getting there. That's hindsight. Hindsight is always 2020. I don't want to judge these people who in that moment were trying to figure out the best ways to assert their humanity. I don't know what I would have done. Let me say that. Um, but it's interesting to me that in this current political climate, in this current racialized climate, I am seeing more and more black women hold, holding etiquette workshops. And in some of the comments, in response to the videos of these children being put out of school for their hair, I'm seeing natural hair attacked. Black folk, it's time out for that. Because what you need to understand is King regularly wore a suit and they still killed him. Malcolm X readily wore a suit. They still killed him. It won't save you. It might open some doors for you. I don't know if you want those doors open. Because if someone wants you only because you can approximate to their culture, I don't know how comfortable you're going to feel in that setting. That might not be the best space for you to grow. But I want us to be more critical about how we judge other black folk. You should not have to know the difference between a dinner fork and a salad fork to be treated well. I don't want us to judge each other like that. We got to be really careful. Now, again, I am an advocate for students knowing social graces and etiquette because it will open some doors. If they go on an interview and the interviewer says, let's go to lunch, I need for you to, to be able to present yourself a certain kind of way so that you have the option of taking the job or not, right? But at the same time, I'm not going to say that all your civil rights, liberties, and the ability to be human should be affected by that. So we have to be very careful as black folk and we can't judge one another based on exposure because all that shit is exposure. Just because you know how to conduct yourself in a five course meal does not mean that you are somehow more worthy of respect than someone who does not. All right. I just had to throw that out there. But here's I want to go back to the turning inward. As we turn inward, one of the things I want us to do is to not only support entrepreneurship, 
I see that growing. You know, I follow Wazam Super uh, down in New Orleans, the owner and CEO of the Crayon Case Cosmetics. I love her. And if you follow, if you follow her on Instagram yesterday, she and um, the real BB Judy, um, who owns Kaleidoscope, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the rest of the company name is, Kaleidoscope, but she does the Miracle Drops for hair, right? Um, the two of them, along with, a, uh, I think it was one other business owner in New Orleans, or two, because it was two guys in the picture. But um, they went around New Orleans yesterday and visited black-owned businesses and basically did free publicity for these businesses. You know, they ate dinner here, and they showed a picture of them eating dinner, and they wrote about how good it was and that kind of thing. I feel I, I'm already a fan of hers because she's one. She's funny one. She cook her ass off to well, it looked like good food, and um, I love her business advice about being real and authentic and still being successful in business. So if you're not already following her, make sure you follow her. But yesterday I was like I was in love with that the concept. That I'm gonna take the attention that's on me right now, and I'm gonna big up the black businesses in my city. More of us can be doing that. More of us should intention. Let's start a hashtag. Somebody send me an email suggestion of a hashtag. Let's start a hashtag where we do that. We go into a black business. We get good service. We take pictures of what we, we what we have experienced and what we see, and um, let's hashtag it. Let's let's you know let's do some stuff with that. Um. The other way I want us to turn inward is through. Think tanks. I think we need to intentionally have some think tanks going. Now, I'm not talking about these huge, expensive, elite organizations. I'm saying in every community, you need a group of individuals dedicated to the liberation of black folk to the creation of a more just and equitable society for all people. You need your thinkers, your deepest thinkers. You need your politicians who are dedicated to that. Not just politicians trying to get elected, but politicians dedicated to that. You need educators dedicated to that. And you need to meet regularly to discuss policy and to create innovative solutions for the problems facing our communities. I really want to see these think tanks develop. Um, again, I'm not talking about those big moneyed uh, where they have direct impact on policy. We need those, yes, but we don't have to wait for that. We can start small because a lot of things happen at the local level. And we can have some local think tanks develop. So I just want us to think through how we can turn inward. We have got to develop our own um, educative institutions. We have got to have our own institutions that run like us. Stacy Patton, I love her, um, had a post yesterday on Facebook about how her HBCU is trying to model a PWI in some decisions they're making. And she points out that they're trying to model a school that is nothing like them. It happens at my HBCU where decisions are being made based on PWI models of schools that are four times as big as us with a budget probably five times as big as our budget, and it doesn't make sense. That is not how HBCUs have sustained themselves historically. They have sustained themselves by doing things their way. 
So when we establish these institutions, these institutions should not look like, should not try to mirror white institutions. They should be established based on our own community values and needs. I'm off that. All right, I want to go to the second part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Because all that shit I just finished talking about, that's heavy. And it's heavy work to do. But let me tell you this. August 21st happened this week. I'm recording today, August 23rd, 2018. Um, but August 21st was a couple of days ago. And I was all in my feelings. Because let me tell you what happened on August 21st. You got Nat Turner's Rebellion started on that day. And the Haitian Revolution started on August 21st. In the boycott men ceremony. Do you know how much hope you have to have? See, we talk about um, the, the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of resistance, and what it means to be a warrior. I think we think about that. But we forget the power of hope. I don't think Nat Turner... Uh, I don't want to put I don't want to put thoughts in his head. Let me say it like this. I don't know if any enslaved or free black person trying to end slavery believed that their singular act would do it. I'm not sure John, you know John Brown, white man. I don't know that John Brown believed that his resistance would singularly single-handedly in U.S. plantocracy. I don't know that. I don't know that Harriet Tubman believed that her missions into the South to liberate enslaved people. I don't know that she believed that that would end slavery. But I do believe that they all had hope. I believe that they knew those incremental things that their personal, me putting my head down, doing what I know I am called to do. I think they knew that it would have an impact on the end of, of slavery in the United States. I think they did know. I think they had hope. I can't imagine what it was like to meet in them woods in Haiti and decide we are about to liberate ourselves from what is known as the world's greatest army at that time, Napoleon's army. Can you imagine how much hope you got to have? Now, their hope was informed by their spirituality in Nat Turner's case and in Haiti's case. There is a, a blueprint there that we can follow if we ain't scared of our own shit. But I just want to talk to you about the power of hope. Neither Haiti wouldn't be free today if somebody didn't have the faith, have the hope that it was possible. And while Nat Turner's rebellion did not directly end slavery, it had an impact. It had an it had an impact. Haiti had an impact on that. On even how slavery happened here. Enslaved Africans' resistance in the Great Dismal Swamp area. Marunage in Brazil. 
the Maroons in Jamaica, all of them had an impact separately, right? We, that's how systems work. We don't all have to be doing the same. We don't all have to be building the same institutions. We don't all have to be resisting in the same way. See, I get frustrated when black people try to judge your activism because it don't look like theirs. Resist in whatever way you resist. Now, I want us to network. I want us to be informed by other movements throughout the diaspora. See, that's the other part. Let's not forget that some of these resistance movements were mirroring what happened in other parts of the African world. They were paying attention to what was happening globally without the internet, (laughs) without smartphones, without a laptop. And we don't do it, and we're more connected, supposedly, to the African world through technology. we got work to do. We've got work to do. But I want us to remember, just as those brothers and sisters in the boycott men woods remembered, that together, armed with our own culture and our own spirituality, we can liberate ourselves. Haiti is evidence of that. And let us understand that even though, by some accounts, Nat Turner's rebellion was a failure because the brother was hanged, let's not forget the impact that his sacrifice had on our current liberation. I'm not saying we're free yet, but I'm saying we're a hell of a lot closer than if he had not acted at all. One more thing before I let you go. Did you see Nicki Minaj have to bring Harriet up in her mouth? Listen, one of my very mature, probably much more mature sisters than me, um, said to me she thought it was satire that I shouldn't be upset. Maybe. But some things I don't think you play with. And Mama Harriet is one of them. I don't know what's going on with that particular artist. I don't want to call her name, but most of us know. I don't know what's going on with that particular artist. I know she needs to be surrounded with people who love her because something is obviously going on. I want somebody to pull her good and good and strong and put a bug in her ear not to bring up that name no more in that kind of way. Please and thank you. All right, y'all. I've enjoyed talking to you this morning. I'm recording in the morning. I'm going to try to make mornings my new recording time because then maybe I won't make as many excuses. Uh, y'all have, oh, I wanted to point out a couple of things. So one, if you are, uh, following me on Facebook at tell them tip told you, then, you know, I go live on Tuesday nights. So if you miss the podcast and sometimes I'm missing from the podcast, pop over to tell them tip told you on Facebook Tuesday nights around nine 15 ish. And I'm live then doing the same thing I do on these podcasts. So if you miss me there, catch me there. Right. Uh, the other thing is the Still Juke Life crew, sorry, the Juke Life crew, or Still Juking, is one of our Instagram handles. We are starting a book club, so if you want to be a part of that, let me know. Our first book is An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. We start reading on September 1st, so if you want to be part of that, send me an email at drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com, and I'll hook you up with the information and details. Again, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Take care. Bye.